you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hi, this is Dan Miller. Hey, if you need a tune-up, stay with us. If you need a complete overhaul... Stick around. You know, I love cars, and I use cars as a reference a lot of times. Just had the transmission serviced in my wife's car. You know, sometimes we just need to have our transmission serviced. Now, unfortunately, that turned out to be a pretty major deal on her car. Well, sometimes we need a, a pretty major overhaul in our work lives. If you're looking for that, hey, we're going to be covering some real-life questions submitted by you, the listeners questions that I could not dream up, but these are real questions about things that are happening in the workplace. And I want to help you understand, you know, this is not just exchanging your time for a paycheck. If that's all you're doing, ultimately you're going to see work as something you resent, see it as a curse from God. No, work is really our best opportunity to live out our calling and to create the legacy we want to leave behind to fulfill our mission purpose, all those kind of things. It's best done in our work. Now, there are things you can do on the weekend and things you can do as a volunteer that certainly add to that. But the major time block that we've got should be invested in something more than just generating a paycheck. So we're going to talk about how to do that, how we can make that true in our work lives for each of us. Here's some of the questions we'll be addressing today. Dan, I've always wondered if recycling shoes would be a viable business. Dan, successful people seem to have good energy, mental health, courage, and decision-making ability. And the people that struggle in life seem to be tired all the time. Is this an accurate pattern? I do very well as a salesman. Should I start my own company to make all the profit rather than just a sales commission? What would you recommend to someone who's trying for the first time in his life to think like a big picture entrepreneur? The only types of jobs that I've been able to get are sales jobs, but I've failed in all of those. I'm just a nice guy with no path. Dan, I'm wondering if there's a way to monetize my passion or does it need to stay a hobby? Well, great questions. We're going to be addressing those. Here's our quotation for the day. comes from Marcel Proust, who says, The real act of discovery is not in finding new lands but in seeing with new eyes. I've always loved that quotation because it really is true. You know, so often I hear people say, well, gee, I live in North Carolina, but I hear there's great work opportunities in Dallas. I'm going to move. Or I got an email this week from somebody who lives in the United Kingdom, lives in England and said, you know, we would love to have the kind of opportunities that you have in the United States but we're also thinking about moving to Germany. And if we came to the United States, it might be San Francisco or New York, you know, or should we come to Nashville? I'm thinking, you know, where you go geographically has very little to do with the kind of success that you experience. That is not the key criteria. I have never in my life moved based on a job or business opportunity. We've always moved and we've moved a lot. Frankly, we've always moved based on, lifestyle, just ongoing places where we thought we'd enjoy living. So when I completed my master's degree in psychology, we moved to California. Not because I thought there were better opportunities there. I could care less about what opportunities there were there 
career-wise, my goodness, with a master's in psychology, I ought to be able to find opportunities within five miles of where I want to live in the face of the earth. So we moved there because we didn't want to grow old, wishing we had lived in Southern California because we hear people talking about the warm weather and surfing every day. So we moved there. It wasn't difficult at all to find opportunities there. When we decided after living there for four years that, yeah, it's, it's cool, you know, and a lot of opportunities and, and I made more money than I ever dreamed of making while I was there. Not in psychology, I should add. I moved away from that pretty quickly, but Again, there were opportunities for whatever I wanted to do, as there seemed to be most anywhere we go. But having lived there for a few years, then we decided, you know what? We really don't want to raise our kids here in a smog and traffic congestion. We would work during the week, you know, doing things that were fun. But then on the weekend, we'd take off and go to Palm Springs or Las Vegas or up to Lake Arrowhead where we'd get out somewhere where we really wanted to be, get away from the traffic and congestion. So we thought... Why would we choose to live like this? Let's not grow old here. Let's move somewhere where when we walk out the back door, we're where we want to be. Thus, we moved to Nashville and we moved here strictly because of that. I didn't have any idea what I was going to do when I came back to this part of the country. Didn't matter. There's opportunities anywhere. But we moved here because we like the climate change. It's not too hot, not too cold, but we still get the seasonal changes. May see snow a couple times a year but we see the beautiful leaves changing color. I mean, we like all those things. That's that had a lot to do with it. There's a major airport here, which makes it easy to travel. There's a lot of cultural things, there are 17 universities right here in this area. I've always stayed involved in the academic environment. We're within a day's drive of family, not real close. So they aren't going to be popping in every evening, but still where we could get there easily in a day. Those were the things that helped us make a decision to come to Nashville had nothing to do with business career. And a lot of times I hear people, if I could only move to another country, to another state, to another geographic region, somehow I'd have better opportunities. Well, as our quotation says, the real active discovery is not in finding new lands, but in seeing with new eyes. Here we got a contest going on. Now we talk, I've, I've talked to you and a lot of you, have already been here to our most popular live event that we do at the sanctuary. That's our right to the bank event. W R I T E right to the bank, how to turn your writing into significant income. And th this time I'm going to be showing you 10 different ways to use your intellectual property, whatever it is that you know enough about, to write about 10 different ways you can create at least a hundred thousand dollars a year. Individually, 10 different ones. So if you did all of them, you'd make a million dollars. Well, you can choose, but I'm going to show you formulas where you can just plug in the numbers and then make it whatever you choose to make it, whichever ones you choose to do, but 10 different ways. Anyway, we got that right to the bank event coming up here in a couple of weeks until I think it's until through Sunday, this coming Sunday, which is going to be like the 28th of March. You can go to our site, and then the easiest thing I've found, now my team set this up, but the easiest thing that I see is just to go to 48days.net, and right on the front page there, you'll see details about this. We're going to give somebody free admission, including your stay here at the sanctuary, so you don't have to have a hotel or anything. You can stay here in our guest quarters. We'll feed you like a king or queen during your stay here. We're going to give that package to somebody. Don't have to buy anything to register. Just go there and register. 
and we're going to do just a random drawing. We aren't going to screen anything. We don't know anything about those of you who are entering. So it'll just be a random drawing. Probably have one of my granddaughters reach into a fishbowl, pull a name out. And we're going to give somebody, one of you is going to get free attendance at the right to the bank. So if you're interested in that, just go there, register. I mean, don't let that be the only criteria. If you want to come, make sure that you come anyway. But, um, and even if you already have registered for the event, if you win, we'll simply refund your money. So how's that for a deal? Now I want to talk a little bit about, before I go to the questions that I identified, I want to address an issue that keeps coming up. I mean, this is like whack-a-mole. Remember that old game at the county fair where you pop the thing on the head, it goes down and then, ooh, it instantly comes up somewhere else. I feel like this issue is like a -a whack-a-mole. And the issue is how to get a sense of God's calling as it relates to then what you choose to do in your career. Now, I don't pretend to be a theologian, but this is a pervasive issue that just keeps coming up that I can't ignore. And I do deal with it on an individual basis daily, it seems, but it just comes up again and again and again. Now, here's a recent example of how this comes up, and I just think it's worth a couple minutes to kind of unpack it here. Last Sunday night, I spoke at a church. Afterward, a lady waited. It was obvious she was waiting to talk to me. She sat and waited very patiently while people were getting books signed and things. Finally waited till she was pretty much the last one. They were turning the lights off in the church and she approached me with a question. Now she was obviously uh, quite discouraged and from her personal presentation, it was clear that she had low self-esteem being evidenced by poor eye contact, just overall weak personal presentation. But her question was this, why should I continue trying when God keeps closing the door in my calling? Now, wow, you know, I mean, that is a a question designed to stump even a theologian, I believe, which I am not. But, you know, if God calls to something, wouldn't he then open the doors to make it happen? I mean, isn't that how it should work? I mean, if you're going to give a child of yours a reward of some kind, you don't just hold it out and then jerk it back to disappoint him and see him frustrated. I mean, is God capricious? Would he do that? Could he, is he capable of doing that? This is almost like asking if God can make a rock so big, he can't move it. Well, we can get into those circular theological kind of tailspins. I don't want to go there, but really with this lady, why should I continue to, to contrine when God keeps closing the door on my calling? Now, it just seems counterintuitive to think about that. If God really called you to something, yeah, does that mean you're just going to waltz right into it? It's easy? No. I want to deal with that as kind of a second part to this question. But frankly, I don't think her question really was that complicated. I think she needs to take a fresh look at her calling. Now, she told me she's always wanted to be a counselor. So she has a bachelor's degree in psychology, and, and then she was rejected from entering graduate school in counseling which I find kind of interesting because there's a whole lot of schools out there who are looking eagerly and recruiting for students, but she found it difficult to get accepted in graduate school and counseling. So she thought, well, I know that's what I want to do. So I'm just going to try to force the issue in some other way. So she spent three years and went heavily in debt 
to get her Master's of Divinity degree, thinking that that would somehow open the door, that would make her a stronger candidate. She then applied for a graduate counseling program again, but was rejected again. She then took an entry-level job with a community counseling agency. I mean, she was making like eight bucks an hour. Couldn't afford to pay anything on her school loan debt, let alone have an apartment and a car and food to eat. Just didn't work. But even there, she was let go after a couple months. She told me she's never married, lives alone, has few friends. So I asked her as gently as I could, are people coming to you now for your advice and opinion? Well, and she replied really quickly, no, that's why she needs the degrees. But see, I think this is a misinterpretation. This is a misreading of calling. However you frame it in terms of your religious worldview, I mean, you can take this any way that you want, but if God calls us to something, if there's that sense in your spirit, in your heart, in your soul, that you really were born for this, that usually comes because there's a lot of affirmation for that in other ways. So if God is calling you to be a musician, then it's likely that you've already shown some talent in that area. And you have lots of people telling you, boy, you're great. You really ought to move and develop in that direction. In the same way, if God's calling you to counsel or coach, then I'm confident people are already telling you their problems. And you're surprised sometimes by the wisdom that comes out of your mouth. It's like, wow, that goes beyond even what I know or what I've learned. You know, I just really gave them what they needed at that particular time. Those are the things that tell you perhaps you have a calling, a propensity toward God is preparing you Again, however you want to frame it for coaching or counseling. Now, I do think that even if you have a calling, this is like even if you have a talent for something, there's still going to be work and a struggle required to turn that into anything meaningful. But I don't think God calls us to something that doesn't line up with our passions, talents, personality traits, and dreams. There's a natural direction already in place when we, that's how we recognize our calling. And too often people think, well, if I really did what God wanted me to do, you know, I'd have to live on beans and rice and do something I absolutely detest every day because that's what it means to to follow God's calling. It's all sacrifice. I ignore everything that I am equipped to do, everything that I enjoy. I mean, again, what kind of a God would do that? I mean, can you imagine as Again, as a parent is a perhaps an easy way to look at it. Expecting that of one of your children. Golly, they really enjoy, you know, this particular activity. You know, they really enjoy sports. They just have a real natural fit for that. They excel in everything they do. And you come along and say, no, that's ridiculous. You don't want to go in that direction. You need to be a scientist because scientists will never be without work. You need to do that. Well, I see the end result of that, unfortunately, a lot where I see the 45 or 50 year old who realize they're living out somebody else's dream, not their own. I mean, the biggest regret of people who are now approaching death in a recent survey is that I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself rather than the life expected by others. Now, this is not about being selfish and egotistical and self-centered. No, it's about releasing the very best that we have to offer 
by being authentic. And that's how we find our calling. Thomas Merton said, a tree gives glory to God by being a tree. For in being what God means it to be, it is obeying him. The more a tree is like itself, the more it is like him or God. So don't try to be a rose bush, as good as that may be, if you're a tree. Now, here's the other part of this. And I'm going to move off. I'm going to get off this, this high horse. But this just comes up so repeatedly and seems to be so confusing for people as they're pushing to do something that they see as godly or humanitarian. But it's not a fit. If it's not a fit, it's not God telling you to do that. It's something, it's guilt. It's something else. The expectations of others, national trends, generational expectations. I mean, there's a whole lot of things that can push us in directions that are misdirected for us. But I don't think God does that. If it's aligned with God's will, it's going to be that natural connection with our talents our passions, our dreams, because it's, we're going to be able to be really good at doing what it is that he's calling us to do. Not just mediocre because we're trying to make ourselves do something we detest. But now here's the other part of this. Have you ever noticed that even if God allows you to have your dream, you're expected to work to make it happen. So if you're chosen for the football team at your school, then what has to happen? Then you have to practice to work hard every day. Keep your place. If you're accepted at a prestigious college, then you have to study like crazy to keep your grades up or that college will ask you to leave. Had a friend who one time was asked, they said, we wouldn't like for you to pursue your higher education at a lower institution. (laughs) They knew he wasn't cutting it there and they preferred that he go someplace else. Well, there's a spiritual lesson for all of us to gain and seeing what happens as a meaningful life unfolds. Yes, we can have our dreams. Yes, those dreams come into view, but it requires a clear plan of action. It requires imagination, desire, hard work, self-discipline, and faith. I mean, all of those things. I mean, if you think about, uh, think about, again, since we're on a theological bent here, I'll just stay with that. Think about communion being perhaps the most revered sacrament in the church. Now, what do we use for communion? We use bread and wine. Well, knowing that God really honors this, that must be something that he thinks is really important. So surely he makes it really easy, right? We just go out and pick up bread and wine. Where do we find bread and wine in nature? We don't. God gives us wheat. We take a, a kernel of wheat and we plant it. We bury it in the ground. We water it. We fertilize it. We weed around it. Then we harvest it. We grind it up. And then we have to let it rise. It's a long involved process of getting bread from what we find in nature. The same thing is true with wine. I mean, it takes a long time to produce wine from grapes. When we take the raw materials God gives us, we add our own work, then it becomes something useful. And that's a really good picture For all of us, each of us have special gifts, whether it be singing, writing, gardening, art, computer skills, selling, teaching, cooking, being a friend, encouraging others, coaching, counseling, some of the things we've talked about here, whatever it is, that's our gift, but it's a raw product. It has limited value until we apply the discipline necessary to make it useful to ourselves and others. Well, let me just kind of tie this up 
with a prayer that comes out of the Jewish Passover. And it's a prayer that I absolutely love because it says this, blessed are you Lord God of all creation through your goodness. We have this bread to offer which earth has given and human hands have made. It will become for us the bread of life. There you go. Through your goodness, we have this bread to offer, which earth has given and human hands have made our participation. So yes, it takes work. Yes, it takes struggle. I, I talk a lot about Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers. Came out a couple years ago, but we talk about his research showed that people who have extraordinary talent in any area have already put in 10,000 hours of work in that area. Now that's a whole lot different than what, the way we like to get our talent and fame and success today. I mean, everybody wants it instantly, just boom, gee, I'm a great singer. You know, I want to be Alan Jackson or Brad Paisley tomorrow, not five years from now, not 10 years from now, tomorrow. That's the way we expect it to come. And when we see talent, it's not something just dropped in somebody. It's something that they had a seed and then developed it over a long period of time. So yes, we need to be willing to put in the work and effort. So it's not going to come easy, but at the same time, doors shouldn't be closed totally. If we are moving in something that is a natural alignment with the way God has wired us, gifted us, given us talents, dreams, hopes, and possibilities already has to be a combination of all of those. Well, I hope that's helpful. And again, just a a common question. I felt like it deserved a little time here to address that. Well, here's a question comes from Karen says, Dan, I've read a couple of your books. I haven't seen an answer to this question before. I work full full time as an engineer because my husband's not working. I took on separate part-time job in direct sales two years ago. Between the two of those, I now have enough to make ends meet this year. I also took on being a travel agent. You know, it's hard for me to get past the, the, the short sentence because my husband's not working. Um, I, I have to trust that there's some legitimate reason for that. I'm, I'm not sure what it would be. There's no explanation here, but we go on and identify four things that you're doing to try to make ends meet in your household and your husband's not working. That That is a, a glaring red flag here. And I'm confident there's some great reason for that in your household. Anyway, this year I also took on being a travel agent. All right. So you work full-time as an engineer. You are part-time in direct sales. Now you're a travel agent. Also in my free time, you write jokingly, I'm sure I write children's stories and plan to become a published author at a later date. For now, I offer my stories for free as a service to parents on my website. My question is this. Being an engineer pays the bills. That's all that I use it for. My direct sales business and travel agency and our fun careers that I love. And writing is my gift back to God. How do I effectively market myself as both a direct sales consultant, travel agent, author, and engineer? I'm perfectly okay with doing all of these, but I haven't found a way to effectively link them together. I feel like I spend more time trying to figure out which one to tweet, which Facebook post goes where, which clients belong to which business, not to mention the nine email addresses I have. Then there's a chamber of commerce. Do I promote my travel business or my direct sales business or both? What would you recommend? 
Is there a life coach that understands I want to do more than just one thing as a career and would help advise me how to best market and combine each so that my clients can one for one can be aware of my involvement in the others. Karen, 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 slow down. You're wearing me out. Just reading through the things that you're doing. I can't imagine you doing all of those things with a high level of effectiveness. Not even if you're superwoman, which apparently you are, I think it's a very poor plan to try to do the four different things that you describe and to do those well. Now I'm a big believer in doing multiple things and having multiple streams of income. What I want you to do is go to uh, 48days.com, go to worksheets and drop down. One of the first ones you're going to see there is a 48 days Venn diagram and you'll see the outline, the business model that I have used for years in my business. I love that business model. You're going to see seven, not four, but seven different things that I do. Seven different areas of revenue generation in our business. And most of you who have been listening anytime recognize as well. I have zero employees. So we're not talking about, I have a hundred people who have all these different divisions and I just kind of oversee everything. No, I have zero employees. I have a whole lot of people who work in our business, whose skills complement my own, whose skills bypass the level of my own competence in a lot of areas to make things work, but they're not employees. It's structured differently and it allows me to do what it is that I think I do best. But those seven different areas are all integrally linked together. So when I speak, I've been doing a lot more speaking recently in speaking, it then drives people to our 48 days websites to 48 days.net. They get involved in community things we have going on. They request coaching, refer, refer them to and match them up with a coach. They purchase products. They come to live events and there's a whole lot of things that they do. So my speaking fuels anything else that I do. My writing does exactly the same thing. The writing is full of incentives for people to come back and get involved in the community. The coaching that I do, same kind of thing. So all the different things that you see, activity in any one area drives activity in the others. With yours, there does not seem to be that kind of connection. You've got four balls, they're totally unrelated, and they're all floating around out there where there's no synergy between them. There's no leveraging of activity in one that makes the next one more successful. That's the thing that's lacking. I'm not opposed to you doing different things, but they ought to be tied together. Now, can you do that with what you're doing? I'm not sure. I mean, I see that you're a, your direct selling is with uh, my 31. I mean, ladies accessories and pretty handbags and things like that. I mean, cool company. I'm familiar with that. Can your writing somehow tie in with that? The same kind of things there. Could your travel? I mean, I think you can, you could possibly do that, but as you describe what you're doing right now, it's simply a matter of putting on different hats. And I think that will limit your effectiveness in all of these areas rather than adding to your overall effectiveness. I would rather than doing the things that you're doing here, that you focus on one and just do it extremely well. But I think you can create a model much like I have, if you want to, where if you choose the, my 31, as a core career that you're going to do, that then your writing, speaking, travel, work, it coattails with that. It ties together with that. 
So I think you can do that if you just kind of sit down and make yourself look at a model like that. Create your own model. Take out the things that I have in my Venn diagram. Put your own in there and get things that help each other. Well, Blake says, I recently found out about a jewelry maker in my area who suffered an accident and it's left him without the ability to continue doing what he loves. Now, this is an interesting question. Hear what Blake has unfolded here. Compassion for somebody else that seems to be stripped out of their calling. The jewelry owner managed to survive an explosion at his home, the place where he also conducted his business. It's left him, though, with limited vision and limited use of his hands. It has weighed heavily on the minds of me and my wife because just less than a year ago, he made my wife's custom engagement ring that she refuses to take off and constantly gets compliments on. I feel called to help, but I'm not sure how. Given your area of expertise, how would you help someone that was doing what he loved, but now finds himself forced to go in a different direction? Well, Blake, I really appreciate your heart in this. Appreciate your compassion. I don't have an easy answer for how you can make this other gentleman's life better again. I mean, certainly showing your own compassion and understanding. I mean, find out what he can do. I mean, even if he has limited vision and use of his hands, he may not be able to make jewelry, but if he has a really broad understanding of jewelry and clientele, he may be able to continue indefinitely in selling, you know, wholesaling, retailing, I mean, selling and doing well in his business, just adjusting out of those parts that required his vision and use of his hands. If that was a major part of what he's doing, then he is going to have to redirect. But, but it's, it's not, the solution is not for you to step in and just, you know, take over or do his work and allow him to sit in the sidelines as you do the work that he was then doing. I mean, that, that's not a good solution for anybody in Baum. So there has to be, from his perspective, a redirecting of what his calling is, what his passion is, and how he could continue to do that. He may be able to consult with other jewelry store owners or to create instructional manuals about even how to construct beautiful jewelry. He may be good at knowing where the best vendors are so that he can buy things at great discounts, high quality merchandise and wholesale that to other jewelers. But it's going to have to come from his unique perspective. Unless you have a background in the jewelry business, I doubt that you can do much more than just be a friend for him. I mean, one of the things that Joanna and I have had to painfully discover over the years is that we can't live the life that we want. I and mean, we can't help other people live the life that we think they ought to live. We have to step back at some point and realize they have to make those decisions. We can be a friend. We can care for them in many ways, but we have to be careful at stepping in too much and trying to orchestrate their life. And this is certainly a situation like that. So be a friend. And I commend you on doing that. Clarence, from Washington says, Dan, I always wondered if recycling shoes would be a viable business. I know Nike has a program that they recycle athletic shoes to make different playing surfaces, but I often wonder about dress shoes, other shoes that are not athletic. If this would be a good viable business, where would one start to get this going? I think about throwing away shoes and it just does not mesh with me because I think there's a greener side for those shoes on this earth. Sometimes they're too old to donate to secondhand stores. What are your thoughts on this? Any insight would be great. Well, 
I mean, it, it's a viable business idea, but I, I think it's a very low margin, low profit idea. If if you want to figure out something, I, I think it would be better to figure out a thing like Nike is doing where they recycle the materials. And if it's tennis shoes, the, the materials can certainly be recycled into a lot of other things. I mean, I think there's some merit in doing that, but again, I don't think that's a much of a profit business. I think it's uh, something worthwhile, humanitarian, green, socially conscious, those kind of things, politically correct, but I don't think it's a high margin business at all. Now I am familiar with some stores that are doing exactly what you're talking about here locally. We have a store called Marty and Liz. I don't know how broad based they are, but I know they have several stores in this area and they do exactly what you're talking about. They have shoes, a lot of times shoes that have just been like tried on somewhere, but then they show scuff marks in the bottom. And so the, the shoe stores give them away or sell them low reduced prices is really what happens. And so Marty and Liz has shoes that are gently worn for the most part. Now they have some new, but they have a lot of them that are gently worn. And um, my own wife loves going there. Uh, I haven't been there much, but uh, I mean, I hear about it and it appears that they do pretty well. And I wouldn't see that as a real profitable business. For one thing you have, you have instant geographical limitations. I mean, you really are going to have a hard time selling used shoes. Now, I know some like Tom's Shoes and Zappos, I mean, are selling a lot of shoes where you just order them and get them online. But again, they've got, I mean, amazing return policies and things that would be hard to do when you're working on a small scale and working with used shoes. So for the most part, you're going to expect people to walk in, pick them up, look at them, try them on, and then decide. So in that sense, you have an immediate, you've got about a five mile radius of where you're likely to be able to do business. I don't like businesses that are that restricted. I like things that have the potential to expand beyond geographical limitations. So it, it's really not an idea that I would encourage you on. I mean, do what we do in any business and that's called due diligence. I mean, look at who else is doing it. I mean, research where you are there in Washington. I'm sure there are other places that are doing this. So research what other people are doing in that arena and see if there's a way that you can do it better. But I think it's going to be a pretty limited business opportunity. Well, Brad has a question here. And then this is kind of an interesting framing. And uh, I want you to hear him with his question. And then we'll discuss in a little bit. Here's Brad. Hi, Dan. This is Brad from Michigan. Um, I uh, sure appreciate all your podcasts and books and uh, articles and all the things that you do. And uh, based on that insight, I had question regarding successful people. It seems like we're always looking for patterns or certain qualities that successful people have, and there's some that I haven't really heard much discussion about, and that is that the, the successful people that I know seem to have good energy, mental health, courage, and decision-making. And the people that maybe struggle in life that seem to be tired all the time, and they seem to be maybe a little emotionally unstable, and they sort of lack your guts and don't seem to know how to make quality decisions. And I just wonder what your thought is about some of those things. You always uh, offer up profound insight, and I look forward to your wisdom and all the other great products that you continue to give us and services you give us. And I uh, hope you have a great day. Thanks again. Bye. Well, Brad, thanks for your question. The way that you lay this out, I mean, I, I, I wanted people to hear you say it rather than hearing me say it. 
because I think there's a lot of validity in what you're saying. Successful people you know have good energy, mental health, courage, decision-making ability. People that struggle in life seem to be tired all the time. Low self-confidence, you know, low self-esteem. Well, these things work together. I mean, in 48 Days to the Work You Love, I really lay out the seven different areas where I think we need to decide in advance what will success look like for us. And those include our physical health, our spiritual vitality, personal development, social well-being and connections, in addition to finances and careers. I mean, those are the kind of things where they do work together. And these things all tend to either come up together or go down together. Now, we can see how this works when somebody loses a job. Wow. There are a couple things that are impacted immediately. Self-esteem does suffer. Jeez, I'm no good. Nobody wants me. doesn't matter what the circumstances are. There's always a little bit of that tinge of feeling, no matter even if the whole company's closing down and everybody there's losing their job, it's still a little bit of that. Another thing that's impacted immediately is finances. Wow. So there's going to be maybe some stress, a little bit of tension at home because of that. So now self-esteem is wounded. Monday morning rolls around. There's already tension in the house. Monday morning rolls around. The house is quiet and vacant. Boy, it's a pretty safe place to be rather than getting out there and beating the streets and letting people know you're out of job, looking for an opportunity. All of a sudden it's 10 o'clock sitting on the couch, watching Seinfeld reruns, eating Pringles. And you think, well, I'll get out there tomorrow. And all of a sudden, these things compound. Now you're starting to compromise your physical well-being. So these things tend to go down together. So you're absolutely right. People who are successful tend to be successful, not just in their career or financially, but in all these other areas as well. Personal relationships, self-esteem, health, spiritual vitality. I mean, those things tend to all be in good shape and people who are really successful. So we get this circular kind of thinking and then we get caught up in the chicken and the egg, which comes first. Well, if I you know, was successful, then I could, you know, I'd feel better and I'd be able to, you know, spend time on exercise and do all these things. Well, but we can choose to make deposits of success in those areas where we can take control today. Now, this is how this may flesh out. I worked with a young guy several years ago now he was 34 years old and he had, I remember the age because he had, he had gone through approximately $3.4 million in money in about 18 months and he inherited it from his grandmother. And he was just a sitting duck for some bad, bad investments, got involved in some furniture stores and some other things. And to make a long story short, the money was gone. So career wise and financially he was in a toilet. Now, what did I do? The first thing I did, he was obviously, you know, discouraged, depressed, frustrated, humiliated, embarrassed, and all of those things because of what had happened. The first thing I did was I started having him go to the Y every morning for two hours. I didn't have him looking at the newspaper to see who was hiring. Didn't have him scheming on how we were going to, you know, start the next business. Go to the Y for two hours. We took about a month of doing that. I wanted him to work out. And I mean, he did, he got serious about it. Boy, I mean, he got to where I think he could bounce quarters off his belly. He was in such great shape. Guess what else happened? That physical wellness, that physical stamina 
energy, vitality, fueled his very rapid return to success in the other areas. I mean, I'm convinced it worked like that. That's why I had him work on that first, which is not uncommon at all. And and certainly I would encourage that of any of you who may be in the same kind of position. It's hard to be, no matter matter what's happening in your life, it's hard to be discouraged and depressed if you are doing a vigorous workout. You get out and walk four miles, swing your arms, walk vigorously, you're going to have a smile on your face. Your head is going to be held higher. Your shoulders are going to go back. You can't do that and be humped over, discouraged, slumped down in depression. They don't go together. Our body doesn't recognize the two as being allowed in the same room. So if you want to drive out discouragement, depression, do something physically to get yourself in great shape. Instead of having a hamburger and fries for lunch, go get a salad and a glass of water. And start to do those things that are going to make you stronger in areas of your life that you can control, even as you're looking to repair the damage in another area. Now, I know this is, this is like uh, Shakespeare said one time, a man with a toothache cannot be in love. And what that means is <laughs> if you have a toothache, it gets all of your attention. If you hit your thumb with a hammer, you know, you aren't thinking about the book you were reading last night. You're thinking about the pain that's throbbing in your hand. I recently had an emergency appendectomy and I, I really was reminded of this principle because it was amazing to me how much of my energy, my waking time was devoted to the fact that I was in intense pain, even in the recovery process and how it limited my ability to really be creative and sharp and productive. Like I wanted to be, I would, I would track, I would tell Joanne every day. I said, I think I'm at 67%. Okay. Today I'm at 78%. I tracked my recovery and it was a full three weeks until I was back at a hundred percent. So I mean, I, I recognize the challenges when one area of our life is struggling, but if we have to be intense, intensely intentional about making deposits of success in these areas so that we can ultimately be successful in all of them. And that's, that's really my encouragement. Be expect to be successful in all these areas of life, not just one. This is not just about how you can get a big financial portfolio. I mean, I, I, spoke the other night and I talked about being fully alive. St. Arrhenius, a second century disciple said the glory of God is man fully alive. You know, what does that mean? Well, I know people who are, are billionaires who are not fully alive, who I would consider to be abject in abject poverty in certain areas of their life. And certainly not a life that any of us would want to model. At the same time, I know people who have absolutely nothing financially, who are absolutely fully alive because they are enjoying relationships, health, exciting kind of things that they're engaged in projects that are worthwhile. I mean, it's, but these things are tied together. So if you want to be successful in one area of your life, make sure that you're fostering success in the others as well. Well, you're listening to Dan Miller. 48 Days Online Radio. If you got a question, you can go to the 48days.com website. Just click on the podcast link. You'll see an opportunity there to submit your question, or you can just shoot a question in, askdan at 48days.com. Be delighted to entertain that in an upcoming show. 
Well, Matt says, Matt is from Dallas, Fort Worth, says, Dan, I really appreciate the podcast every week. It's very inspiring and like a rudder for my week. I've been working for a sales as a salesman for a flooring company for almost four years now. I enjoy the industry quite a bit. I'm thinking about starting my own flooring company, but I don't know if I should try to only sell it as I'm doing now or try to sell and install it with my own crew. There definitely could be more profit with my own crew, but there's also more liability, warranty work involved. I actually like the job I have for the most part and make between 50 and 60,000 a year. It's a hundred percent commission. As much freedom as I have there, I don't think it can compare with having your own business. Thanks for your input. Well, well, Matt, I I think it's great to look at this and you're, you're in a really position of strength to be able to look at what your options are. So, you know, you can sell, you enjoy selling, you're doing well, you're okay financially in doing that, but you just think that there would probably be more. You see that if you sell a job for 10,000 and your commission is 800, you think, well, the materials only cost 2000. So there's a whole lot of profit there somewhere. What I would encourage you to do is map out what it would mean to have your own business. Make sure that you look at all the components, create a business plan. So you see all the aspects of running your own company. You can go to our worksheets and I've got a business plan there. You can just pull that up and look at it. Also, you know, also I would suggest if you have not to read no more dreaded Mondays, because in that book, as opposed to 48 days to the work you love, where I really deal with how to get a job in no more dreaded Mondays, I deal with how to take an idea and turn it into your own business but then how to look at all the different parts of that to make sure that it really is a fit for you. Now, having having said that, having the ability to sell, which you describe is the most important characteristic to have to make any business successful, but it may be better to stay focused on that than to take on hiring and managing installers. I mean, when you start hiring and managing installers, they don't have the same kind of thinking that you do. They aren't energized by getting out here and, and selling it. They're just doing the job. And by golly, if you're paying them $15 an hour, then if the job takes a little longer than what it really needs to, no big deal because they just get paid for it. I mean, they may look at it a whole lot differently than you do. You also be dealing with vendors on flooring where there's price variations there. And then you have to make sure the right product comes in. And then like you say, you may have to go back and deal with warranty work, go back to address customer complaints after the job is done. Now, you know, I'm a big believer in owning your own business, but to start with to frame this properly, you already are in your own business. You're selling and you're on a hundred percent commission. You're already in business for yourself. Now, what that means is you essentially have one customer right now because you're working for one flooring company selling their products. I mean, that's cool, but it's not a quantum leap to see yourself as adding a couple more customers, other companies that you could sell for, but however you frame it, you really are in business for yourself already. So I would make sure that you look at it in that way. If you went from selling a hundred percent of the time as you're doing now to selling perhaps 15 to 20% of the time, would the additional margin that you get for the installation make up for the decrease in your selling time? I'd take a hard look at that. 
Now, again, you're talking to a guy who has a hard time working for anybody else. I always want to have my own business. I'm going to look immediately at how I can structure it to do that. But selling is the most profitable skill that you can have. Installing is a very low margin skill to have. So if you take some of your selling time and now you're having to manage people and do administrative work, those skills are not likely to pay as well as the time spent selling. So that's how I encourage you to look at this whole thing where you look at the whole picture and then decide, are you better off to have your own business in that you're doing the whole thing or to just maintain your niche where you're doing the one thing you do extremely well and you're able to do that all the time. Even in my own business and having a lot of different components and I tell people there are probably, you know, 20, 25 different things need to be done in a business, even a small business like I have, I probably do two or three of those pretty well. Guess where I want to spend my time. I've built my business so that I have other people take care of all those other areas that I don't do well. So I can come back to the one thing that made me want to have my own business to start with anyway. So I coach speak and write. I don't take care of the business things in my business. Those are left to the skills of other people. Well, taking care of business. I love dealing with these questions each week here. Thanks for being part of the 48 days community. Remember to go register for the free right to the bank attendance that we got coming up. Love to meet you here. Love for you to be a winner of that. Just go to 48days.net. You can register there. Thanks for being part of this community where we are continuing to find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, productive, and profitable.